you know, I value my culture more since I'm living in America because I I thought there were free women here. And, uh, and I realized, actually, we are much more freer than them. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Life podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. Jelinas BDE is excited to offer many training and performance opportunities to intermediate and professional level dancers. Visit joinbde.com for information on how to join their professional cast or to train and perform with BDE Experience program. Gain a unique and professional level experience with training in technique, choreography, performance and theatrical productions alongside Jelina and her team of directors. Information is available at joinbd.com. Happy New Year to everyone! Welcome to 2020 and to our first episode of our third season. This is our third year together that we are going on and I really appreciate you tuning in and I know you have so many uh, things on your list to do but you still find time to tune in and listen to us and I know many of you actually are trying to do uh, double tasking and uh, multitasking <laughs> while doing something else like uh, groceries or cleaning or maybe stitching your costumes and uh, tune in the podcast and still find and carve the time to to listen and be with us and i really really appreciate it and also i kind of feel that the beginning of the year it's very inspiring uh time that we have so many different hopes and dreams and goals and it feels like a fresh start even for those people who don't believe in new year resolutions it's still just the energies in the air and it, it does feel like this and often it um makes us uh, look back also and reflect on what was uh, happening and this is something that was uh, recently also on my mind uh, i have been ballet dancing more than 15 years i think already 16 or 17 i lost the count at some point and during those years uh, of course uh, my uh, journey of learning and studying was all over the places there was many teachers multiple workshops uh, festivals and a lot of time dedicated to my own practice especially the moment that I moved to Canada my ballet dance practice was mostly uh, mostly done on my own and uh, with that said, uh, it creates uh, quite a few, let's say, challenges. And I'm not even talking about the challenge of identifying your own mistakes. I'm sure you love, you know about my absolute love to video recording your own sessions and what a great tool it is to see your weak points and dance and think that you need to focus on. But the struggle that I'm talking more about is... Uh, the struggle of having self-discipline 
not only about getting up and doing things, because this we also can manage with some tools of like putting in advance in our calendar, starting early in the day, or creating a reward for like doing doing this session, and then at the end we can get some nice reward for ourselves. But I'm talking about that self-discipline of always giving. 100% of your energy to the session whenever you don't have anyone observing you whenever you don't have anyone like pushing uh, do it now do it better whatever like we always or often at least we can get into the um, mood of uh, feeling like not uh, enthusiastic or like a little bit lazy or was like or dragging ourselves through this uh, session or even if not dragging but just really not pushing ourselves to our true limits which actually is the way and the only way to improve and um, for me i realized that one of the main um, triggers for not uh, uh, doing it properly and uh, as a result not having the results that i would love to see in my dancing was uh, not uh, being able to start my sessions in the right mood and this was quite a challenge like they have a saying start your day uh, win your morning and you will win your day <laughs> i kind of feel we can transform win your uh, warm-up or beginning of the session and win your the whole entire dance practice time <laughs> and improve your dance levels but starting the sessions was really sometimes frustrating especially if you are not in the proper mood and you're not focused and your mind may be somewhere else so yes you carve the time in your uh, schedule but you didn't carve that time in your mind sometimes and then what kind of warm-up to to do how to get into this groove also how to make sure you're incorporating uh, technique drills into the practice which are often very boring just to repeat and drill but that's how we create body um, memory in our body muscles and that's how we learn dance and improve it but if you're not doing it with 100% focus attention and energy we often will practice them wrongly so we will create a wrong body memory uh, etc so I really at some point was very frustrated on how to deal with all that stuff uh, which uh, led me to two things and I remember it resulted in first endless online classes that I was enrolling whenever I could, whenever I got interested in something and also occasional private classes also online but private classes with uh, teachers that I liked and wanted to study with and that i could afford at least from time to time and each of those classes either online or private online class they were usually eye-opening i was always focusing more on technique rather than choreographies and they were eye-opening in sense that how many actually exercises uh, just are in this world existing in this world uh, that someone came up and those exercises can help to improve technique uh, either directly um, doing this movement with certain attention or like a related exercise which will relax or um, engage or stretch the muscle that is blocking proper technique on another movement and all this stuff so it was always very inspiring and eye-opening but then again facing the question of like self-discipline to actually do them on a consistent basis because doing it once twice or even three times it will not get the result and then we need to keep going even when we don't see visual changes we still need to go keep going to 
to reach the goal. So with all that frustration and sort of a closed loop of, okay, inspired, okay, again, problem of inner motivation and self-discipline, I once got a crazy idea that I do not want to invent the uh, wheel of bicycle again and again. I want to solve this problem for myself once and forever. And uh, instead of every time coming to my session and thinking, okay, how to start now? What should I do now? Should I do this? Should I do that? What kind of music to put? What what to do in general? How, like, before I go to choreography, how to do proper warm-up and work on technique and in which order? Basically, I decided to solve it once and forever. And instead of thinking about this every time and thinking about this, trying to find something new every time, I decided that I will come up for myself with a regular routine of just, this is the routine, this is what I'm doing, this is how I start uh, my training session. It's like my morning routine, which we all have is like... uh, get up, go brush your teeth, make bed, get breakfast, get out of house to where we need to go. That's basically, even if you don't think about that, but that's our regular routine, which we don't even think about or analyze, we just do it. So I decided that I will do the same for my dance practice. At least I will not fight with myself on how to start the practice. I will just have something to do. And I even went further, so instead of uh, memorizing the sequence, whatever I came up, I actually video recorded myself doing it once. And then the next time I just had to turn on video and follow myself, which was a bit funny to follow myself, but it solved the problem. Like I basically stopped once, thought about all those exercises and drills that I wanted to, and I knew they will be useful for me. I put them all together once in this complete routine and I video recorded it and then I start using it again and again. So it really took the headache of trying to push myself to get into the groove by just simply following uh, the video and uh, and doing it. And that's it. And of course, with time, I got more and more ideas for different exercises that I want to do for myself and different technique drills and aspects. And of course, instead of one, (laughs) this uh, silly video recording, I got uh, several ones. And uh, you also probably know uh, already a little bit about me and my nature. At some point, I decided, okay, I also maybe want to share it with other people. Why not? Like, if it helped me, it probably will help other people. And that's what I actually start doing via our Patreon page, which is now transformed into a Yana Dance Club. And I know it will help many other dancers too. And that's why I I got really passionate about uh, this uh, project. And also, thank you so much for everyone who joined already Yana Dance Club. It was a surprisingly uh, big interest among uh, you, and I really appreciate and uh, hope you're also enjoying <laughs> and improving your uh, training sessions. But I really wanted to also share this story with you, not only about uh, Yana Dance Club itself, but uh, also to encourage you that sometimes uh, Uh, our big projects or things that can help and serve other people, they typically come from a very, let's say, egoistic (laughs) places. They come from trying to solve our own needs and make it easier and better for ourselves. But uh, sometimes we don't think about those things as something important and we always try to serve and think right away for other people or we care about other people 
more instead of focusing on our own needs and not th- we don't think about our own needs as something that eventually can actually help other people so this was example that i wanted to share with you about yana dance club and uh, the podcast i already said several times about that in our history of podcasting it also came from kind of a selfish place like i wanted to have this space and uh, opportunity to talk to other dancers and hear about their experience and podcast was a great tool for that and of course i'm also very happy to share everything with you too and i know it helps and inspires you too so in the beginning of this year i really wanted to bring your attention that uh, don't uh, only focus on big grand goals or whatever we want to achieve and don't focus on the end results but also focus on the process and on your own needs because by taking care about yourself you're not only freeing your mind and uh, health and uh, in general like your life to have space to uh help others as a more uh fulfilled person you yourself but also uh taking care of your own needs may may force you to find some solutions that can help for other people so never underestimate uh, uh, the importance of taking care of yourself and also solving uh, your problems and fighting the systems to Uh, get you on the track not only focusing on that end result i want to be super cool uh, dancer successful international like think about okay but what's behavior i need to have what what's now can i do what is my system or ritual or routine or whatever you call it can be with that and on the topic of self-care i'm so thrilled absolutely thrilled to start this to year 2020 with such an inspiring interview and such an empowering guest and this interview this conversation had so many surprises for me and i'm absolutely sure you will absolutely love it because we have a gorgeous amal tafsud on our podcast and uh, her story and her spectrum of dance activity is just beyond imagination. Uh, raised in Algeria, Amel grew up with traditional healing practices of her native uh, country and uh, we will not only talk about traditions of North Africa, not only Algeria but in general, uh, where is the uh, dance culture of Maghreb, where is the Arab dance culture, where they cross, where they go together, where they different. We'll of course talk about traditions and uh, a little bit of history and theory and cultural overview for you but also we will talk about healing aspect of these dances and culture in general and how different it is from western culture and uh, amel has a really uh, interesting insight and um, opportunity to see this uh, both cultures from from inside because uh, even being raised in algeria she actually spent a lot of her uh, life outside of uh, her own country and in 1970s uh, she moved to germany where she founded the pan-arab dance company called banad as sahara daughters of sahara desert and then in late 80s she moved to uh, uk where she also created a new dance company called the Dafsut 
Tites. <laughs> I hope I pronounced it correctly. Um, also, she uh, was uh, performing at various dance and music festivals and being an active member of the Latin uh, jazz band Chakchuka, the North African music ensemble Mambu Dunya, and the Arab-Turkish band Nur Shimal, as well as uh, the later the North African music ensemble Saladin's orchestra with her drummer husband Salah Dawson Miller. Currently, she lives in the USA and she's an in-demand dance artist and musician and she also has a list of uh, uh, groups that she is uh, and projects that she is working on. Uh, but I kind of feel that uh, her very important uh, project is with a research in dance and topology and coming from a Sufi spiritual tradition she really combines traditional healing with sacred dance and with her learning experience in sound healing and zirk as well as breath work, whittling and trance. And all this we discussed in this interview and uh, there are so many points that were eye-opening and very intriguing. It has definitely added something on my um, list to do and goals for 2020. And I am absolutely sure it will be great inspiration and op great way to open this year for you too. So here we are. Please enjoy a beautiful interview with Amel Tafsut. Hello, dear Amel, and thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I know so many dancers, once they saw the announcement of this episode, is just jumping out of excitement to, to hear from you and to dive more into the dances of North Africa and all other uh, really cool and interesting stuff. So thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. I uh, really would love to uh, start uh, sort of uh, to dive back, <laughs> get a time machine and uh, go back to your uh, childhood. And uh, you were born in Algeria and uh, probably dance and music were part of your day-to-day -day life. But can you tell us a little bit more about uh, those times and... Uh, um, how those elements were present in, in your daily life. <laughs> Thank you so much for the question. Um, so I was born in, uh, uh, in the mountains and is northeast of Algeria. And this uh, area is called the Aures Mountains. Uh, the Aures Mountains are known for uh, various things. One of them is actually... Uh, uh, as you know, Algeria was colonized by the French uh, from 1830 to uh, 1962, and uh, the the war of independence for the independence uh, broke uh, up in, uh, in in the in the Aras Mountains, um, and the war was uh, not uh, usually uh, it's by students, but it was by peasants. Uh, who uh, started? Uh, I mean, they wanted to be uh, to be free, and uh, that was the beginning of the struggle. Mm -hmm. uh, so that area is also uh, an Amazir Berber area. So the people from that area they are called the Shawia, Shawia people, and uh, so uh, the 
There is a lot of history there because that area, the east of uh, Algeria and Tunisia, uh, the long time ago it was called Numidia. And Numidia uh, was actually part of the Roman Empire and then they wanted to uh, be independent. Uh, a very famous uh, a queen at that time is Daido, for example. So, um, but uh, when the Arabs came to um, to uh, North Africa, they, they came actually from Egypt, um, and that area where I, uh, I was born is known for a Berber, Berber queen. Uh, I am using the term Berber, but I don't feel very comfortable with it, uh, especially nowadays that we have a uh, an identity. We try to really uh, do a lot about our identity as Amazigh people. So I prefer to use the expression Amazigh because the word Amazigh means the free people. Uh, the term Berber was, um, uh, it's, it's the Romans and also the Greeks. That's how they called us because for them, we were barbers. The, the, the Greeks and also the, the Romans thought they had a civilization and everything that is not uh, Greek or Roman uh, was barbarous. So in Greek, uh, they used actually sometimes even in the old uh, Greek songs, uh, North Africa is called Barbaria. So, mm -hmm. uh, so we were the barbers for them. Uh, but nowadays that we have this amazing uh, uh, yeah, we were fighting a lot for our identity, uh, so I prefer to to exp express and use the term Amazir. So this queen uh, was uh, from the area where I was born. Her name was called the Kahina. Uh, actually, the uh, Arab historians called her Kahina. Uh, and Kahina nowadays, even if you go to Egypt nowadays, and uh, uh, if uh, uh, the the word the term Kahina is is very negative in Egypt. Uh, they called her the Kahina, which means means a little bit the sorceress. But she was a warrior. She was also, uh, I call her a diviner or divineress. So she was a, a little bit kind of, uh, kind of shaman. And when the Arabs came, pushed them away to uh, Libya. Um, and she uh, also arrested uh, she had a lot of prisoners, and then she freed the prisoners, and uh, she was very well known for, uh, uh, nobody knows about her husband, uh, she was the queen, and she had two sons, and one was Christian, and the other one was uh, Jewish, and she came from a Jewish tribe, and there was a lot of uh, uh, discrepancy about her, uh, uh, was she Jewish, uh, but uh, was she Christian? Uh, but that wasn't important, for example, to me, uh, because where I was born, uh, the town is called Khanshala, and there is nothing in the history about her daughter, uh, but everybody where my grandmother always said Khanshala was her daughter. So, I grew up with all this uh, awareness and the history about this amazing queen that we had, mm -hmm. and she was very fierce. So basically, that is the area I came, I came 
from or I come from a lot of history over there. Mm. So when I was little, uh, you know, there was this, uh, um, yeah, uh, it, it's like uh, being born in two cultures. And uh, I was born in, in my home with my family. I was really like uh, in my uh, Algerian or Shawia kind of uh, upbringing with storytelling, with singing, with drumming. Uh, with dancing, uh, and in that area, there is not, um, uh, for example, the 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 Amazigh women. They didn't veil. The veil is really in the city. If you go to the city, women they veil, but because those women they work in the field, they didn't veil. Uh, but they um, uh, so basically. Uh, I had to go to school, and at that time, uh, it was a French school. And going to the French school, you are you weren't allowed to learn Arabic. So we were uh, still part of the Arab world, even if you had we had another another dialect. Uh, so basically, you had to go to school, and at school you had to learn by heart that uh, Christianity is your religion. <laughs> And the go- the the gods were your ancestors, and actually, even as a little child, I knew something was wrong because I wasn't the same as the French uh, girls who were in the same classroom as me. So basically, it's always like, okay, the French were better than us, and even at school, the French uh, girls would be in the front row, and we were in the in the back row. But we had to learn the French and. Uh, uh, everything was about French history, French geography, but nothing about our own uh, uh, country. So my father, uh, bless his soul, as much as my uh, grandmother, because I come from a, from a very ancient family, and we uh, we had a kind of uh, a Sufi lineage. So we. Uh, my father would uh, gather us around the fireplace, and he would tell us stories about uh, about uh, Islam. Or, but that is the upbringing I, I grew up with. But you know, when I was four, we had to go to the Quran school. So, uh, when you are four, you go to the Quran school, and then when you are six, you go to the French school. Mm. So, as a as a child, it was like everything that was home. I didn't want to share it with the French people. Uh, a very interesting example is uh, uh, the teacher would stop me after the class and would ask me the name of my father, and I wouldn't give it to her. And again, the next day she would do the same. And it was like, that is my world, my private world with my family, I am not going to give her the name of my father. <laughs> Until one day I asked my, uh, I spoke to my mother and I said, you know, my, the teacher is all the time bothering me about the name of my father. And she said, why didn't you give it to her? And it was like suddenly I had the permission from my mother, then everything was okay. But it was like, I felt like I had to protect my own culture 
and that's what I did as a child. So uh, everything was different. Hmm. Um, the the you know the things that I I share and that more you are more uh, aware of those values is when you leave home. Uh, when I moved to and suddenly I started all that uh, upbringing came back to me and it was like uh, I was so uh, fortunate and I feel unfortunate that I had I had my culture I, I, I hold to my culture so strongly because that was the only day the only way I could survive by myself in Germany or in other countries uh, so the the uh, the singing, uh, it's it's all it has all to do with uh, with everything you know uh, like in the West you are a dancer or you are a drummer or you are a musician uh, or you are a storyteller or you are a cook or you are a weaver but everything was together my mother was a weaver um, the storytelling happened when uh, women would be cooking or if they are making couscous in the summer, for example, all the women gather together and then they are singing, they are telling stories, they are laughing, but they, it's, it's such a beautiful uh, way to, um, uh, to, to absorb everything as a child without, you know, we didn't have schools to go to, to learn our dances or our music. So is everything, as a child, you absorb everything. You absorb the songs, you absorb the rhythms, you absorb everything. And also you, you, you uh, a very beautiful uh, memory when I was a little, uh, because, you know, we didn't have a lot of toys. You had to make your own doll, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, the region where I come from, we had a lot of clay. So clay. Uh, we kids, we used to go outside and play and make different shapes. And then the challenge was, uh, I don't know if you understand what a couscous pot is. Mm -hmm. uh, a couscous pot has a pot and it has a sieve on the top. And uh, when you succeed making your own, then you make couscous. And uh, so then you you cook your first couscous and you invite your uh, uh, girlfriends. And then uh, I remember we used to two spoons in a in a in a glass bottle, and then we take a cardboard box and then we start drumming. And uh, the the two spoons is to making more like a symbol like symbol sound. We clap and sing, and then we start dancing. And that was the parties we used to have as little girls. So we we are not um, because uh, others they are busy. They are busy. They have more kids. So we 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 just entertain uh, ourselves with dance and singing and drumming. And that is the best way to learn. 
Wow, that's such an incredible story, and there are so many things that I really want to to touch on deeper. And thank you for sharing it. It really like I felt like transformed into uh, those uh, that those times and that places, and imagining uh, little girls uh, cooking uh, couscous and dancing. And uh, yeah, thank you for thank you so much for sharing this beautiful story. Uh, but one thing that especially caught my attention because I never really realized how much connotations uh, are connected to the term Berber and it, it makes total logic like what you're saying and it's, uh, it can be even obvious but I just realized that um, like for instance for me coming from belly dance world and I know most of our listeners they are belly dancers in Baladin's world, we almost uh, feel like some uh, kind of admiration about the term Berber dances because it's so exciting and so interesting to learn, but it's also uh, very little uh, information about this. So uh, whenever we see someone doing Berber dances, it, it kind of... Um, Literally almost like a feeling of admiration. Oh my God, you want to, to learn more, but never connected any bad connotations to this term. And it's great to know that, um, there is an alternative term, Amazir, that the community prefers uh, to use. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think, uh, at this moment, a lot of our listeners, uh, dancers have a little, uh, eye opening revelation right now. Like, oh, are we not re- even realizing, uh, about that. Uh, but I also wanted to, to ask you, uh, also about, um, I mean, right now I'll use the term Berber dances, uh, with all respect. I'm just, because That's for okay. ballet dancers, it's, it's more, uh, more, uh, familiar what, what we are talking about. But I know that there are a lot of confusions, uh, for ballet dancers, uh, among terms such as, uh, dances of Maghreb region, uh, Algerian dances and Berber dances. Can you help a little bit to clarify what is what and where they cross each other and where they're different? Because it's really something that uh, I kind of feel uh, may even create a lot of misinterpretations by dancers who are trying to put uh, performances on stage and sometimes really confusing what is what or not even understanding themselves what exactly they are doing or, or performing. Uh, okay, thank you. It's uh, I have to go back a little bit to uh, the beginning of uh, uh, my uh, my career as a professional dancer, uh, and everything happened to me when I was in Germany. So I wanted to show something else than just a cabaret style, and uh, it was interesting that I met some Arabic women at that time who felt the same as me, and. Uh, I created my first company, and I had uh, uh, Lucy was Lebanese, uh, uh, Samira was uh, Tunisian, there was another Algerian, and there was a German who was Sufi, and actually uh, 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 a kind of, uh, she was uh, Hungarian, German, but we were all looking for our, our identity because, I mean, when I left home and I went to uh, Germany, I didn't really know what, what I was because I didn't know very much about my own history apart from what my father uh, taught me. 
And uh, the first thing when I was with, uh, 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 for example, Arab students, and they were all male, and they said, "Oh, but what are you Algerians? You are, you are, uh, you are not Arabs. You are not uh, French." And even a professor, I uh, uh, studied Middle Eastern studies, and he used to tell me that all the time. What are you Algerian? You are sitting between two chairs, and it was like this. Uh, longing for finding out who I was. And uh, at that time, it was, it was about me as a woman, uh, wanting to belong to something, to know who I really was as, as an Algerian, what is becoming an Algerian. And uh, so at that time, because when we become independent, uh, uh, we, uh, uh, the government, uh, said we are uh, part of the Arab world and Arabic is our, our, our language. And uh, a lot of people who actually, especially in, in, in the mountains, because that's in the mountains where uh, we had so many invaders in Algeria that we, people were uh, hiding in the mountains. And they kept their culture, they kept the Amazigh Berber culture, as well as the dances, as well as... Uh, the language, uh, and they didn't speak another. Uh, they didn't speak Arabic. So here I am uh, uh, in uh, in in Germany, and um, and when I, I had my my troop, in the beginning I didn't want to call it belly dance because I I, I have to tell you the truth. I am not very I am not very uh, keen of the, the the expression because it doesn't really uh, represent us Arabic women. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had this kind of uh, uh, rejection about the world. And my first troop, I decided to call it Bedouin because I didn't want to use the term folklore because I don't agree with the term folklore, and especially living in, uh, uh, like in France and also in Germany. Uh, it has a, such a negative connotation, and the the negative connotation is also among belly dancers. So if it's folklore, uh, it's oh, actually it's very simple. They think everything that mm-hmm. is uh, has to do with folklore is very simple. Yeah. It's just you know you do some line dancing or you do some circle dancing, and you have one or two steps, and that's it. And uh, that attitude. Uh, it's only when they got deeper in, uh, in, in, in wanting to study that there is not as simple as that. So uh, this is talking about the, the term folklore because I would like to come back to that because mm-hmm. uh, I prefer the, the, the term than folklore. Uh, so um, the confusion about the Berber uh, in, uh, in, in, in this uh, kind of, uh, let's call it belly dance, uh, is uh, um, because they, you know, in everything, if you want to cook, you really have to study how to cook or you have to be with your mother uh, and and let her teach you. You can't just uh, pick up some, uh, I'm going to pick up uh, some cumin and uh, mix it with with curry and say, oh, I am doing uh, uh, an Indian dance or an Arabic dance. It doesn't go that way. So uh, there is a big confusion because there is 
something that is happening that didn't happen at that time when I, when I started uh, being a professional dancer. I started in the late 70s. So I was the only one trying to bring something else in the dance scene than the cabaret style. And uh, I remember in Germany, everybody uh, was interested in, uh, in the cabaret style uh, because the cabaret style didn't come really from, from our countries. It came from America. And so what I was doing, they, uh, they thought is, uh, is simple, is, uh, is, uh, or they didn't really pay attention not to the movements or they couldn't really pay attention to the movements because they couldn't see them. It's not about just doing uh, a thousand movements with your hips. It's the whole thing is together. Mm-hmm. If you are doing your hips, you are actually doing your shoulders too, or you are, you are using your hands. Because first of all, uh, because you know, in North Africa, we don't have just uh, Amazigh Berber dancers. We have the city dancers. I call them the city dancers, mm-hmm. and those city dancers they have to do with the they are Andalusian dancers. They have to do with the Moors when they came from, uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, when people talk about the Moors, they think they are all Arabs who came from, from Damascus. Actually, a lot of those Moors, they were uh, North African Berber Amazigh uh, warriors, and they went there. So, uh, so when they came back, the Andalusian, uh, 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 the Andalusian style started being, uh, and is still going and performed, and that is the city dances. So if you go to the mountains and sometimes also in some oasis, you do have the Amazigh Berber dances. But there is one common thing about those dances that I I love so much is the fertility dances. So when we talk about fertility, People don't understand, and they simplify the fertility. The fertility is the fertility of Mother Earth, but is also the fertility of the woman. Can you believe it? Where I come from, when they used to do the sowing in the summer, when they start sowing, basically putting the seeds, they always used to have a pregnant woman present. Mm. And when uh, when the harvest comes, the first uh, the first uh, people who get the first fruit of the harvest are young girls. So it's a whole cycle, and and the cycle is not just about the that kind of fertility; is also about you know the stamping. That we do, uh, of course, you have the Depke stamping in uh, uh, in uh, in the Levant. Stamping uh, we have, it's very gentle. It's like I care for Mother Earth. I am communicating with her. It is as if I'm breathing with her, and that is a very uh, beautiful kind of connection. But also, it has to do with you as a human being. Uh, especially with the hands, when we do the hands, it's not just doing any kind of, uh, so the Arabesque movements, they are from the city, but in the in the Amazigh Berber, when you are using your hands, 
everything I am doing has a meaning. Mm. It doesn't have just a meaning that uh, I know about, is about the energy. So because as a human being, I am creating the connection between the Mother Earth and the universe. So it's the whole constellation. It's, the, it's about not just about uh, Mother Earth as a planet, but it's also about all the other planets and the stars. It's uh, really interesting to see this connection to Mother Earth and ground in so many different uh, traditions uh, uh, around uh, all all around the world, but especially in North Africa, Middle East, and Central Asia. It just whenever you were describing it, it kind of reminded me. I believe uh, uh, the uh, Iraqi Kaulia dance and their steps yes. and their beating the uh, earth. I know that it's more about awakening the earth, but of course, it also has a lot with this meaning of mother earth and connection to earth and it's so interesting to hear the same analogy in in uh, other part uh, of the culture and uh, having the same uh, or similar so similar meaning in the dance embedded because uh, i believe that we all came from somewhere mm. and i believe uh, if if you look at native american dances and I go to powwows uh, where I live. There is one uh, not far from uh, from me. And how they are dancing actually is exactly the same dance as the one I do. If it's the Kabir, for example, it's exactly the same beat sometimes even. Mm. So there is something uh, unspoken uh, uh, because we are different, but we are similar too. We, there is a similarity. I was doing a, a, a dance, it was for actors in London, and uh, there was an Indian choreographer, and I was doing uh, one of the steps that we do in the Tunisian, and the guy came to me and he said, ah, oh, we have exactly the same step. So it's, the, the, it, it's very interesting because, you know, uh, we talk about fusion and we talk about fusion as if uh, the term the term fusion is new people traveled a long time ago mm. they traveled with ships but they traveled also with camels and they stopped somewhere and you know and they got something from that area where they stayed a very good example is uh, people from Africa going to Mecca then they had to travel by camel and they had to come to North Africa or then they had, there is a whole journey that they had to go through. Sometimes it took them one or two years, but they still got something from the places where they stopped, if you see what I mean. So I would like to come back to the, uh, to your question about Berber and Algerian and this and that, because, um, uh, North Africa was only one country a long time ago. Uh, it's why uh, I am a typical uh, North African who has a, a family. I am from a big tribe. Uh, some of my tribe is in Tunisia and another tribe is in Morocco. And that is, and then the, the French created those borders. And when they created the, those borders, it doesn't mean that, okay, a Moroccan is a Moroccan 
an Algerian is an Algerian 100%, a Tunisian is an... Uh, no, it's not like that. They have, actually, we have connections, we have uh, family, we have relatives in the, in the different countries because people are people. Politics is politics, but people are people. And so, uh, especially Algeria is in the center and I don't know if you know, since uh, Sudan become uh, divided in two, uh, the biggest African country is Algeria, mm -hmm. and the biggest Arabic country is Algeria. Mm -hmm. So uh, if people, when I come back to, uh, to America, what do they know about our dances? They know one Algerian dance, they know uh, maybe... Uh, 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 one or two Moroccan dances, the Shihat and the the, uh, the Gadra. What do you what do they know about the Tunisian dance? Only one, and they have no idea that we have a lot of dances, a lot of music, and and there is so much that uh, uh, I am still discovering. I I I go to Morocco on a regular basis. I went to Egypt. I. I travel a lot and I travel also to study, not just to, to go there. But uh, I am actually organizing this trip and I'm very uh, grateful that uh, now it's full. It's, uh, it's taking uh, dancers uh, to Algeria and we are going to different places uh, and it's a cultural trip. Uh, I am doing it for those dancers, but in a funny way, I'm doing it also for myself mm -hmm. because I feel, uh, you know, it's like an artist shock. More you take, you take uh, layers, and more you find there are more. So it's like uh, I'm still trying to uh, find out more because there are the desert dances that are so amazing. And one of them is the dance of the Oled Nail that is actually not a Berber dance, mm -hmm. but people think that is a Berber dance. Uh, you know, there are uh, all the, the uh, spiritual dances that we have. So there are so many different ones. Uh, and unfortunately, the people who went to Algeria, a lot of them, they went to Algeria in the 70s. And, and sometimes... Uh, I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm very happy that they brought something to the West, uh, but their knowledge is very limited. And unfortunately, sometimes they add it to more prejudices. Mm. I am against prejudices. It's like uh, uh, there are more stigmas. The stigma, a typical stigma, and I have done a lot. Uh, my grandfather used to, uh, be uh, like a judge in that oasis where the, the dancers of the Oladnei came from. And uh, the dancers, they, they, when they do that dance, they think they have to have a cigarette in their, in their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's no, no, uh, even when they do, uh, 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 I mean, uh, uh, I mean, uh, what is called again, there is a dance that is now uh, uh, everybody's doing. They don't have a, a cigarette on stage, but when they are doing the Oled Nail dance, they think they have to have a cigarette on stage. And when I say no, they don't understand and they get really mad at me and they send me, they bombard me with with colonial postcards. And I say, you have no clue how those postcards have been taken. 
the photographer is putting that uh, that cliche there. But the thing is, that area didn't have uh, women. They didn't uh, smoke cigarettes. The soldiers brought cigarettes and alcohol. Mm -hmm. So there is always a history behind it, if you see what I mean. So uh, one thing about uh, uh, now American tribal uh, uh, belly dance, like it's called, uh, you know, when I came the first time here, and uh, one of the people who uh, invited me to teach was Carolina. Carolina from Fat Chance. Mm -hmm. And at that time, she was very interested in the roots. And she was uh, very interested about the North African roots. And if you, as you know, the headdresses they have, that is an Algerian headdress. Uh, they got inspired by that, which is fine. But you know, when uh, everybody is putting their tribal, their, their tattoos on the, on the faces, and I am in those festivals, I'm sorry, I cannot even, I, I don't feel I want to put my tribal marks on my face. Because it become like everybody's doing it, but nobody understands that those tribal marks, they have a meaning and you have to be initiated. You can't just put them on your face. You know, if I go, if I want one, I can't go to the shaman and say, hey, I want a flower in my, uh, 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 in, in my cheek or in my, in, in my hand. She is the one who is going to decide what I need mm -hmm. because some of those tribal marks, they are carrying energy. They are ca carrying a healing energy too. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like everything is mixed up now. Yeah. And I am not surprised that completely confused because uh, they are confused, but are they going to listen to me or to one of us uh, who come from the, the country and are they going to doing it? They're not going to stop doing it. So the way to talk to them, I am not going to be angry and spend my energy, I am going to do it another way. I want to teach them. I want to educate them. I want to open my arms and tell them, here I am. I can tell you. I can show you how things are done, if they want to. Are they going to want to? That is another story. Because we are living in a time where everybody thinks, okay, they can go to YouTube, and just see some movements and uh, put their dance together and they think, okay, they are professional dancers. Well, I still have a lot of hope that there are a lot of conscious dancers there. And I, I really truly believe that the more information and the more discussions we have, uh, the more it actually uh, broaden up the horizon for many dancers and understanding because a lot of them, they... Uh, follow whatever they heard first or uh, they took workshops from some teacher and they trust that information and many dancers may not even realize that they have some uh, misinformation. So the more the more we have uh, opportunities to actually discuss and bring up those topics, uh, I really think it will, uh, like not immediately, of course, it, it takes time to change and make dancers to... Uh, 
to have and develop their creativity but in a conscious way because it all comes from the desire of oh i just want to experiment and be creative but then sometimes taking the wrong path or wrong way and go into some elements that we don't even fully understand what's that so that was exactly the reason why i actually asked you about in general even the question of what what are those like dance styles because for many dance whenever they hear oh Algerian or Tunisian uh, dance style they right away associate oh it's probably Berber dance style Berber um, Amazir dance style so uh, and no. on top of that there is a term Thank Maghreb dances you. yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, uh, the beginning because I was by myself and uh, okay I had a Tunisian uh, um, in my troupe and uh, all those Arabic women they were we wanted to give uh, uh, dignity to Arabic women. That is about dignity. It's why I never danced belly free. And I want to show that we have beautiful costumes. And it's nice to the costumes. They have a reason sometimes. Like uh, uh, um, there is always this stigma about uh, about our dancers dancing naked, for example. And uh, if you if you take uh, the Gedra dancer, if you take uh, uh, the Nailia dancer from the Ouled Nail, without the costume, nothing makes sense. Mm. So, uh, but there is all this stigma about uh, dancing naked that is really like a male orientalist kind of a view mm -hmm. about about us so um uh, i am uh not saying uh, i i am very very uh grateful that the the i have friends uh, but from an old school, and I appreciate all the work they have done because they didn't have YouTube's and uh, uh, and uh, Facebook and all that to find out. They had to go to the country, and and they really worked very hard to give some information. Uh, but you see, is uh, uh, so when I used to use the word Bedouin is because I wanted to englobe the Arab, the Arab world and uh, bring that element uh, and show uh, the, you know, it's not a belly dance, uh, uh, a troupe is a Bedouin dance. And then the, the term Bedouin started being used and not really, people didn't understand what that meant. Mm -hmm. And then I decided, okay, I am, I am now going to uh, focus on North Africa and call what I do uh, Maghreb. Why Maghreb? Some people, they, they don't like the expression because they think I am not uh, uh, including the Maghreb in Africa. Uh, the problem is, especially in the US, some, some people, they call North African dance, but actually what they are doing is Egyptian dance. Mm -hmm. And people are confused also about where is Egypt? Is Egypt part of the Maghreb or is Egypt part of the Arab world? So I think to clarify a little bit, I would like to explain that Egypt is in Africa and in the Middle East. But culturally speaking, Egypt is part of the Middle East. So what we call Maghreb, there are five countries 
five and a half countries. Mm. Um, uh, that is because when the Arabs came to uh, North Africa, we, we were in the West and they are in the East. So you have the Sharq and you have Al-Gharb. Al-Gharb is the West, Al-Sharq is the East. So uh, Al-Mashriq, Al-Mashriq is actually the Middle East. Al-Maghrib is North Africa, but is also the sunset. Mm-hmm. So Al-Maghrib uh, it's Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Libya, and don't forget Mauritania. Mm-hmm. Mauritania is part of the Maghreb. And, and, and there's a lot of, uh, uh, depends where you found yourself, the West Sahara for Moroccans is part of Morocco. The West Saharians want to be independent. And uh, so basically this is one part uh, that is part of the Arab world, but it is not in the Middle East. So our uh, uh, culture, I think the culture is different. Uh, but what is different in the dance, and I tell you why people get confused, we have other rhythms. Our rhythms are not Middle Eastern rhythms. Mm-hmm. Our rhythms are more related to Africa. So when I see uh, a belly dancer doing North African, uh, I feel that she's, there is something wrong because she's not dancing to the rhythm. So the rhythm is very important. We are, we, uh, the most of our rhythms, they are offbeat. Mm-hmm. Okay? They are upbeat rhythms. So the one is not, uh, if I'm clapping, I'm not clapping and dancing, or I'm not clapping and singing on the one. Uh, so to express it uh, a little bit better, if you have a tabla, if you are playing Egyptian, okay, mm-hmm. you start on the doom. Yeah. Okay? We start on the tack. Mm-hmm. That is the difference. Mm-hmm. So it it kind of uh, it really can throw off a lot oh. of dancers who are used to <laughs> typical <Yeah>. rhythms. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we we dance on the tack, we clap on the tack, and we sing on the tack. So basically, it's uh, it's you 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 really have to change the way, uh, especially if you play Egyptian. Uh, I tell you something, a lot of Egyptian uh, drummers or Middle Eastern drummers, they all think they can play North African rhythms. Even they are the best drummers. Very rare that you find one that can understand the North African rhythms. Mm. North African uh, drummers, they can play. They can play. Middle Eastern rhythms. They can play Egyptian fantastically well, but the opposite doesn't work. So, and that is my dilemma, is finding a a, a drummer who can understand my language. It's very hard. So that is the difference, the confusion. And the confusion is, uh, you know, because sometimes uh, the Western women, but it's changing. A little bit more because you have uh, dancers who are interested in the Silk Road uh, or the Iraqi rhythms. The six eight, mm-hmm. the six eight, 
you find it in Persian music. Yes. You find it in uh, Iraqi music. You find it sometimes even in Khaliji music. Uh, but the 6-8 is our rhythm. You see what I'm saying? Mm. So, uh, so everything is a little bit... So uh, uh, even uh, some dancers, they like dancing to rhyme music. Rhyme music is very 6-8. Uh, even if they are doing hip hop or if they are doing rap with it, they always respect the rhythm. It's another you know? beautiful example then in different uh, countries, different cultures, there will be some similarities. So it always comes back to we probably came all from the same place at some point. <laughs> probably. But uh, uh, it's uh, it's that was what I, for me, the beauty about the North African rhythms. It's um, it's like as if you are dancing against. It, it, there is some uh, is unpredictable sometimes. When I see uh, dancers doing Middle Eastern, uh, especially the routine, you expect the the. But with the North African rhythms, it's always like you don't know where you are going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that is what is probably difficult for, for belly dancers to understand is uh, sometimes uh, they think it's repetitive and they think that is what is probably for them uh, simple. But that repetition is not always just a repetition. There is something else going on there in the same time. Uh, if I make myself <laughs> clear. Yes, yes, uh, yes. So this is a, a, a confusion. And the other confusion, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, although... I do the different styles. I am very fascinated by Mauritanian dancers, for example. Uh, uh, I think I'm doing, I'm Algerian, so I'm doing just Algerian, you know. And I, I did study uh, uh, different styles, but I decided to focus my life or to give my dance to the North African one. Because now you do have the Persian is more, more or less accepted. Uh, actually very accepted. The Turkish is uh, understood and accepted and performed. Uh, you do have the Khaliji now, but uh, the North African is still something uh, people think, oh, it's easy. Oh, uh, in the routine, if you uh, see a belly dancer, oh, they think they can do Tunisian and they can do Algerian and they can do Moroccan. So Shihat uh, the uh, the uh, Tunisian dance with the jaza, uh, with a jar, and then uh, maybe some gedra, and they think that's it. They, they, they are set. They have that. Mm. But sometimes, unfortunately, when I see them performing it, it breaks my heart. Why? Because they focus on the costuming. They focus on the costuming, and then they mix our our movements with some belly dance movements because they have they didn't do the homework properly, mm -hmm. and then it looks like vishivashi. Do you understand what I mean? Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's not 
is not necessarily their fault. It's not done with uh, with malice or with uh, is is just uh, uh, they 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 are not putting uh, enough work on that. They would put a lot of work in the Egyptian. But if it's a North African, they still don't understand that they have to do the work. They have to listen to the music if they want to understand the rhythm. It doesn't go otherwise. They have to be familiar with the, with the music. And our music is so rich. I mean, uh, Moroccan music is rich. Tunisian music is amazing. I mean, like Mauritanian, Algerian, everywhere you go, it's another style. It's another style of music, unless it's Andalusian music. If it's Andalusian music, it's played in Morocco, it's played in Algeria, it's played in Libya, it's played everywhere. That's why we have Andalusian music festivals. Music-wise, we do have those festivals, but uh, dance-wise, we do have troops. And sometimes uh, there is always a problem with... uh, uh, women performing, even if it's in a troupe. So uh, it, it, it needs to be uh, known more, and I am very happy now uh, in 2019. Uh, I mean, when I started, I was alone for a long time doing what I, and I kept doing it because, because of the love I have for it. And now I see other North African dancers doing it. And it, it 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 fills my heart, and it makes me uh, see that actually, yes, we can do it. I have uh, uh, a very good friendship, and I I love what she does. Uh, is Raisale mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the, the, her her work is very very uh, valuable to me because she's getting more and more in the roots. And uh, we we connect a lot together, and she invites me to teach in Paris, and she uh, respects me. She, she respects the fact that I have done it for a long time by myself. And you see, uh, it's always different if you are living in Paris or if you are living in Germany or London or America, because Paris is uh, is where you find is the mecca of. North African culture, and you can find people, but when you are outside of that that uh, area, it's harder uh, to find uh, to find people understanding or to find people, uh, uh, even North African people understanding their their culture and try to to understand and 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 honor it because it's always you know. There is always a dilemma with, uh, okay, uh, uh, really it has to do with colonialism. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, Raisa's activities are really uh, super uh, significant. She actually was featured on the podcast too, and it was very insightful uh, conversation too with many aspects and details that... uh, uh, bring more also awareness to to this uh, uh, dance culture in general, uh, but uh, also uh, thank you so much for for sharing also all these uh, 
uh, knowledge and uh, your passion to dance and uh, I'm sure I really clarifies already a lot of things for dancers i'm i'm sure all listeners already have their brains on fire (laughs) with all this information and new realizations uh but also uh, another topic that i feel i just cannot skip it would be uh unforgivable (laughs) mistake um is to uh touch on uh the healing aspect of all these dances because you already mentioned the aspect of fertility and uh we talked about uh meaning of uh uh, tattoos and costumes that it has spiritual aspects too Uh, but i also know that in even in your classes you sometimes focus them specifically on the uh, healing aspect uh, of uh, North African dances? Uh, the healing aspect, um, I think the healing aspect is always present in in all the dances in the art world. Uh, the first uh, important healing to me is when women are dancing together. And when they are sharing the dance together, because if there is a wedding, um, uh, do you know there is a kind of hierarchy uh, who is the first person to dance for the bride? Mm-hmm. Usually is her grandmother mm-hmm. and then is the mother and uh, and they offer the dance to to the bride and um, and then the women are dancing together because you know the solo dance, the solo dance really uh, didn't come, uh, even if we are going back to the to the the Andalus, to the to the Moors in Spain, in south of Spain, and I have done a lot of research about that because um, my ancestors came from Granada, and they were from the Moors, and then they came to North Africa. So I have done a lot of uh, uh, research about the fall of Granada, for example. And uh, do you know they had all those, uh, um, uh, how can I call it, uh, the entertainers mm-hmm. in the palaces. And the enter- entertainers, they were slaves. And, and those slaves, they were the most educated ones. Uh, they were uh, educated in every art you can imagine, in poetry, in uh, um, uh, in dance, in singing, in uh, uh, playing instruments, uh, in storytelling. And uh, and when when I was doing my uh, uh, my um, um, my research. Uh, and I, I went to look in the uh, what the Arab historians wrote about them. It's interesting that uh, they are called the Qiyan, uh, those uh, women that are called the Qiyan. Uh, they never talked about the dance. They talked about them as amazing singers and po- poets and uh, musicians, and actually they were dancers. And uh, and that would be interesting uh, for me to find out if those uh, kians, those uh, female entertainers, uh, were dancing as solo mm. uh, dancers or they were dancing together. You know, 
because that would be interesting to see uh, the solo dance. Did that come uh, from the West or was it still existing in, a, in, a, in our world? So basically, uh, in North Africa, it's why there is a big resistance against a solo dancer. And you find out, you find now, even in weddings, if you go to weddings, and then they are dancing together and doing all the uh, traditional dances. Uh, and then sometimes at the end, there is a belly dancer. Mm-hmm. And she's a solo dancer. Uh, and that is what you find in the, in big cities, for example. Because even if you are to- without talking about the shikhat, they dance together. Mm-hmm. They always dance together. If they do a solo, it's a very short solo, but they don't dance by themselves. And that is, for me, the biggest healing aspect that women, because they live together, uh, that they share the dance and it heals them. Because what is healing? Healing is joy. Is joy, joy of the music, joy of the dance. So that is the first aspect of the healing that I, I think is it it it's done with no uh, expectations. It's just very spontaneous that everybody does. And then there is the other healing uh, where it's directed and is focused, and that is uh, uh, the healing like releasing any kind of disease or frustrations or something like that, or uh, the healing that uh, more you find in the desert, because there is a Gedra uh, that is really a dance that came from the West Sahara. Mm -hmm. And then you do have all that uh, area, if it's uh, uh, among the Tuaregs or the Nakh, for example, in in, uh, in Tunisia, uh, they are all uh, spiritual dances, but it's also blessing, giving the energy. When you are dancing, you are actually blessing the people who are coming and blessing, uh, you bless yourself, but you bless the others. And then you bless yourself. You bless everything. You bless not just the people. You bless the whole the whole universe. And that is the aspect that I like about those dances. Because um, so if we are talking about uh, uh, in Egypt, they call it Zar. We call it Hadra. And Hadra is the presence. Uh, you can call it the presence. Of, but to, to me, is about the divinity because uh, I am very involved in Sufism, and in Sufism, uh, God or Allah or the divine is inside, is in your heart, so it's not outside of you, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not, you are part of it, and that's what I like about the breath work, the zikr, for example, if you are doing the zikr, if it's, it has to do with the sound, the sound is so powerful as a healing, uh, a healing energy. So the area where I come from in the mountains, and that is going back to the women, there is one singing, uh, uh, a kind of uh, more like a chanting called Aita. And Aita is that it's me, it means the scream. And the women do the scream. And I had a, a nanny, and when she was 
said she would sing and cry. And she used to do this aita. And I find myself doing it now that I am, uh, uh, it's amazing. And that that kind of uh, uh, singing is it's the sound. And the sound of it is so powerful that actually it's, a, it's about sound healing. And the zikri is about sound healing. So the sound, as much as the rhythm, as much as the dance, they are together and they heal. They can heal. If you are dancing, what is the difference between going to the gym and the dance? It's spirituality. Mm -hmm. You know, the dance, the dance, if you are dancing, it's, it, it's like it goes to yourselves, it goes to your marrow, it goes everywhere. Uh, if I am gymming, it's like, okay, I have the, the, the I am just ma making sure that I'm going to have muscles or I'm going to feel okay. It, it makes you feel good too, but the dance has something so deep. And that is the healing side uh, that I like about what I'm doing. So the, the, the work that I do that has to do with healing, I, I think every woman can heal herself. And she does know how to do it. I can give her the tools. I am not healing. I am I'm not taking her uh, energy. Now, how can I express it? I am just a, a facilitator mm. to help her to release those energies that she's holding for a long time. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. It's why I say I'm giving her the tools. I'm giving her the key and she has to put the key in the lock and open the door. Mm. So uh, because I don't have the, uh, the pretension uh, uh, to... Uh, you know, I, I am not a guru. I, I'm not saying, okay, if you come to my uh, classes, you are going to be healed after five months. I don't think it goes that way. Uh, it's really you have to listen to the women because women are so beautiful. And it's so sad. Uh, I did a workshop where uh, I was doing some sound, just sound healing. And some women, they couldn't even open their mouth to let a sound come through. Mm. The sound that comes through is not the sound that comes from your mind. It's through breath work. And then you let any kind of sound come through. And that sound is so powerful to heal yourself. And when suddenly they started accepting their sound... They had tears in their eyes because they, they thought they are not able to do it, especially in the West. You know what we do in North Africa? If somebody dies, we, the women gather to, together and they scream, they cry together, and they, they do like a movement, and they cry together. And can you imagine how powerful that is? Mm. And that is like here, like if you cry, you have to hide to cry. You shouldn't, uh, you know, why we have the zagarit, you know? You call it zagarit or we call it you. Mm -hmm. That is such a powerful sound. And, you know, when the French, uh, uh, the soldiers came to uh, uh, the old cities of, uh, of Algiers, 
and they want to go inside the houses. And the women started doing the zagarit. The soldiers didn't know what to do with it, you know. And uh, they were completely confused. Uh, if you haven't seen a, a movie called The Battle of Algiers, would be nice to see it because you see the power of women. Just with that sound they have, it's unbelievable, you know. So those things, we live with them. We live with them. And, you know, it's like uh, doing uh, 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 Hadra. The, the kids are there. The elders are there. It's like a daily life. We are not always like you have to have a ceremony. Sometimes in, in weddings, suddenly the rhythm is so powerful that you see a woman getting in the trance. And then the women take care of her and she, she is going to rest a moment and then she will be okay. I saw that even, even in a concert where, uh, in a North African concert where suddenly a woman just uh, gets in the trance because she can feel, she feels the music. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah this topic of... Uh, uh relationship of human with sounds that are inside us it's quite quite fascinating and uh, you were just describing uh, those uh, participants of your workshops that couldn't get sound out of them and I was like picturing myself exactly in that situation and uh, I can only imagine what kind of block is that uh, actually to release once you step through that uh, but uh uh, I never really connected uh, that aspect uh, of uh, of the culture to the um, uh, healing and psychological, like uh, emotional healing uh, power or, or power of it. Uh, well, I uh -huh. I hope you will see it one day. Well, <laughs> I, I hope I, you will see it one day. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm really thinking like, okay, maybe it's something on my list uh, to to try to overcome because I remember <laughs> since childhood, uh, I was like, I can't think. I literally cannot get sound out of my throat. It, it's very weird feeling and uh, uh, it's probably for someone maybe absolutely not even familiar or sounds strange but i totally can relate to those participants of your workshops that you were just talking about because it's quite it's actually a physical feeling that you cannot get that sound either scream or singing or anything uh like literally physically cannot get it out of you <laughs> but you know uh um what is uh, uh beautiful Beautiful. It's uh, it's again women together. Mm -hmm. When everybody, uh, uh, it I like the German expression for it. Uh, in in English, it's called sound healing, but I like the German. It's called a klangteppich, and it's it's a sound the rug the rug of a sound or the carpet sound carpet, and it's really like that because when every woman in the group is just letting that sound comes through and in the beginning is so uneven and then suddenly it's like an angelic uh, uh, vibration coming through where some suddenly everybody is singing together and creating this beautiful, uh, beautiful energy. Uh, so for one woman to do it by herself, 
it's a little bit difficult, but when you are doing it with women together, wow, it's very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very uh, uh, blessed that I can, I can share that with, uh, with the women uh, because, uh, you know, there is so many layers and uh, especially nowadays, you know, that there is much more, um, you know, the, the Me Too movement and uh, uh, the harassment, the abuse that women always had in their lives and they never shared it with anybody because they were ashamed uh, about themselves and actually they shouldn't be ashamed and it's always they get punished, not not the man and in our countries it's still the same and, uh, and you know when you can release all that pain through sound how beautiful that is it's 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 just you know uh, it's why we uh you know i i value my culture more since i'm living in america because i i thought there were free women here and uh, and i realized actually we are much more freer than them we get this uh, amazing connection with our body already when I, when we are little, when we go to the hammams, the Turkish baths, and how we take care of our skin, and and how we cry together, and uh, we scream together, we dance together, we sing together. Can you imagine how how healing all that is for for somebody, you know? And and the women sometimes, you know. The, uh, even if they don't talk, the women know. My mother knows. My aunties, they knew. My grandmother knows. There is all that kind of, uh, uh, I call it, uh, uh, a silent dialogue that is going on. Uh, but women know. All women know. You can just look at them in the eyes and you see, I can feel sometimes the, their pain. And it's why... Uh, I'm the dancer, but I my work is much more than that. It's it's uh, bringing the women together to uh, to see that the feminine is so powerful, that we are beautiful, we are powerful, and and we need to focus on that beauty we have together. You know, it's uh, the competition. It's it's I mean. America has competition for dance, competition for this, competition for cooking, competition for... Mm. It's like, oh my God, people are exhausted. Can you imagine competition for models and they are 11 or, or, or 13 or 14? And then when they are 30, they're finished. Mm. How sad. And that is the... the, the uh, my work is bringing the grace to uh, to the women, even when they are older. You know, in flamenco, in African dance, even in Indian dance, those are, are dances that are respected and, and celebrated. And actually, the, the elders, more you are older and more you are powerful. And... Now in our dance, everything is changing. You have to be young and you have to be uh, beautiful and you have to be perfect. And, you know, what about those amazing elderly women uh, who have wisdom? Uh, 
who still have beauty and they should see the beauty in themselves and not say, okay, I am too old, it's finished, I have to finish. That's what I'm doing. I am keeping going because I want to uh, inspire women, any kind of, of, of age, to say, yes, I can make it. I can make it. I can keep dancing. I can keep dancing until I die. <laughs> because that dance is healing me. That's so, so beautiful and empowering empowering, <laughs> and also so refreshing to, to hear because, yeah, that's true. They have so much competition um, and not only competition in general in the world, we actually have competition kind of among women as if we, by definition, need to compete with each other. And then there is all those other layers of social competition that we have in general in, in the world mm -hmm. that, that it's really exhausting sometimes. And it, it even listening to everything that you're saying, it feels so refreshing and empowering. So thank, thank you, you so much for sharing. Thank you very much. Well, I feel thank like you. we we only scratched uh, the the surface of uh, all the topics and subjects and uh, even your activities that you are doing. There's so much more themes and questions and things to discuss and I feel we can keep talking and talking but uh, I also didn't even notice how almost, like more than an hour already passed by so it definitely signal that we'll need to do part two of the interview because there is still so much left left away uh, but I also know uh, a lot of Thank our you. listeners <laughs> a lot of our listeners also have one burning question on their mind okay do you offer any classes or workshops or any activities that they actually can come and and study and learn more about all all of this that we talked today about uh, cultural uh, North African culture and dances about healing powers of the dance and and everything else. Um, I do. Uh, I work all over the world, and um, uh, sometimes I'm so busy that I cannot keep up with my uh, weekly classes. I live in. Uh, uh, I'm not very far from Sacramento, and I uh, I teach uh, um, weekly classes. I'm going to start one in January, and uh, but I am doing. Uh, um, I'm going to Oklahoma uh, in February, and I am teaching there. I'm teaching dance, but I'm also teaching some uh, uh, some healing. Um, and I am going to, uh, 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 I'm, I'm taking a, a group of uh, uh, dancers to Algeria in March, and uh, that group is full. And then when I, when I come back, I'm going to be on tour in, uh, in Europe. I'm going to uh, Vienna and Slovenia, and uh, 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 Rai Saleh is uh, inviting me to teach in Paris, mm -hmm. and I'm going to London so uh, and I have some workshops in uh, uh, in uh, New Orleans. Uh, I have a website is www.ameltafsut.com, and I have my calendar there. My schedule is there, and if uh, uh, if some uh, 
people, some dancers would like me to come to their area and teach, I would be very, very happy to share my uh, uh, my my energy and my uh, my culture with them. Uh, and I actually decided because they don't know so much about culture that I, I created a, a, a five-day intensive that I call Maghreb Dance Intensive. And uh, in that intensive, they... Uh, it's 25 hours. Uh, they study, uh, uh, first of all, they, they get a package, so they have to study the history. They get even quizzes for that. Mm. And then um, I teach them dance. I teach them the drumming because I'm a frame drummer. And uh, I teach them how to drum. I love the frame drums because, to me, they are more feminine, uh, the tabla for me is such a phallic <laughs> symbol <laughs> and it's very, very interesting that men usually they prefer to play tabla they don't want to play uh death or bandir but uh it's uh, it's there are so many beautiful uh um beautiful technique to learn uh, the instrument and then i teach singing and then i i i teach also i teach them costuming because um, uh, that is a very important topic because sometimes I see the costumes and they are not done properly or there is a, they put the bedla underneath and then they have the North African on the top. And mm -hmm. there is one thing that I really would like to share is please, if you do uh, ethnic dance, uh, if you do traditional dance, don't show your legs because we don't show our legs. Cover your legs because that is very insulting for a North African person to see to see that. If you are doing cabaret, that is your business. If you are doing traditional North African, actually, if you're doing Persian, you cover yourself usually. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, there are little things like that that uh, the dancers should know. And uh, that's why I do costuming. And I am very interested uh, in uh, the history of the costume because everything has a meaning. I mean, uh, uh, the stripes, they have a meaning. The woolen belt, the long woolen belt has a meaning. I like to explain also about all those, uh, uh, the symbolism also uh, of, the, uh, of the colors, of the the shapes, you know, and especially like the jewelry, they all have a kind of, like, just to give you an example, uh, for us, Amazigh Berber women, silver is protection. Yeah. That's why we wear silver, that is a protection that we, we, we have. So this is just an example. So the, the intensive is the, uh, it's in February. And uh, if you look, if you go to my website, you are going to see some information about that. But I am very uh, open. If some of uh, the ladies uh, or the, the gentlemen, because sometimes I have also men, I'm not against teaching men. I think it's part of the the, the dynamic to have the two energies. Um, so uh, you you are welcome to uh, find me on Facebook and. Uh, uh, send me a message or they can get in touch with you uh, uh, and I'd be very uh, 
I mean, uh, you are welcome to join. Uh, you can, uh, normally I do it in February because it's easy for the people from the East Coast to get a, a cheaper flight. And uh, the other thing is because in California, we are, are starting to have the spring in February. So everything is blossoming when, uh, when I'm doing my, my intensive. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, please let me know if you are interested. And usually what I do at the end of the intensive, uh, I, I do uh, uh, more or less uh, all the countries, uh, but I like doing also some healing. So usually the Sunday before everybody goes, I do some healing, uh, healing work. Uh, sound and whirling and uh, just to uh, make sure that uh, they get they get that that part of the that quality of the of the intensive also and, and uh, I think yes uh, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to uh, to talk and thank you for the, for what you are doing I think it's so valuable I am so touched by uh, by somebody like you who want, wants to learn so much, but you are giving the opportunity to uh, every dancer to listen to you, to your, uh, to your, uh, to your event uh, uh, and share that with them. I, I think it's, uh, it's amazing what you are doing. Thank you so much. And Hopefully we, we will meet one day oh. <laughs> that our path will cross. <laughs> I'm absolutely sure of that. And thank you so much for your nice words. It's, it's a big honor thank for you. me to to do all these conversations and share with dancers. And I appreciate it so much. And actually, I appreciate it more that you are doing something for, for, for my culture. You are doing something for... For the for the tradition also, you are doing something for the roots, but you are also giving us a voice. Thank you so much oh. from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. <laughs> it, it's it's really my pleasure. Thank you so much, and thank you for finding time and and spend us with with us and sharing all uh, so generously sharing all your knowledge and and experience with us. I really appreciate. And I also will make sure to add a link to your website and social media to the show notes, so all our listeners, uh, you probably already know that you can always find all this uh, information in the show notes and. And uh, already uh, mark February on your calendars because the event sounds extremely exciting and uh, interesting. And I am um, very, very general, uh, jealous, but in a good way <laughs> for all dancers who actually already booked their tickets and spots there. And I'm pretty sure the event will be full and, and great success. And the work that you're doing is really, really amazing. And uh, uh, just before I let you go, <laughs> uh, we have our signature final question of the podcast that I ask every single guest. Uh, just to yes. sum up the, the interview, the episode, I typically ask it about ballet dance, but today I'm going to rephrase it uh, about North African dance in general. And we talked a lot, quite a lot about it, but I kind of feel it's always a good way to, to summarize and, and sum up and give some final thoughts on it. So the question sounds like, what makes you fall in love with North African dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years 
I think, uh, first of all, it's my grandmother. <laughs> uh, and when I dance, uh, and um, and secondly, the, the, what makes me fall, fall in love in the dance is the energy of the music. And the energy of the dance is like... Um, you know, if I sometimes when I hear a, a piece, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot stay. Uh, I have to move. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's like everything in my in my being, my cells, my heart, my organs, everything is like uh, I can't stay still. And that is, uh, it's that energy that uh, you know. Uh, you know, like Arabic music has, uh, uh, you know, when I was little, I was also, uh, but because my mother was listening always to the radio and we were listening to Um Kulthum and uh, the Egyptians and uh, and uh, that 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 is the music that has the tarab. You know, the tarab mm-hmm. is, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's where you feel uh, happy and sad in the same time. Uh, uh, Arabic music make, makes me feel that way, and uh, uh, North African music uh, is still uh, Arabic music. Is you know is the voice. The voice is important. Uh, the, the voice and the rhythm and what I like about uh, about our, uh, apart from Andalusian music is very sophisticated and the rhythms are very complicated and you know it's 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 classical music mm-hmm. but uh, uh, the the traditional music I like the raw it's raw so the voices are raw uh, uh, you know uh, the 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 singing we have in the mountains the the Berber Amazigh singing uh, reminds me. It's very much like the Bulgarian singing, if you understand what I mean. Is that voice that is uh, the mountain voice? Mm. Uh, that there is some rough roughness about it, but it gets deep into your tribes. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, it's 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 so powerful. And the thing is, when I'm teaching, sometimes uh, I try to be the teacher, and then there are moments where. I lose myself in the music, <laughs> and actually, the students they like that because they they see me like I become like a little girl. So really, that that is when I'm dancing, I am like that little girl who is dancing with her grandmother, you know, uh, and that's the the feel I have when I'm I'm dancing. And that's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.